Just love objects. <laughs> Come here, you fuzzy love object. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you, Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> so. It sounds so good. I'm not used to us sounding so good. Yeah, really. I'm not used to hearing us in, in so yeah. clearly on the earphones, oh. even. I'm not used to hearing myself because my setup. Yeah. Mine too. I can hear everybody but me. Yeah, that and is I, annoying on, when you're doing it online. Yeah, because I'm not. I'm like, am I being loud enough? Am I being too loud? You know, can, you know, can I do something differently? <laughs> yeah. you know? maybe you should download OBS, and that way you can at least have a monitor, <laughs> right? Oh uh, yeah. Not to mention trying to do a walking impression that I'm not good at anyway, and not being able, <laughs> not being able to hear until I listened to it. I had no idea what it sounded like. At all, yeah. I had to you listen don't. to the episode to hear how bad my Christopher yeah. Walken was. Because I knew it was bad before, I just didn't know how bad. <laughs> Jeff, you know what? I don't. I I've given up. I don't do impressions of people. I do impressions of impressions. Right. So I definitely recommend <laughs> don't listen to Walken. Right. But listen to people doing Walken. Yeah, listen to Jay yes. Moore. Exactly, and then you'll yeah. probably then you'll probably figure it out. <laughs> Is just it's Indeed. it's tough. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number five hundred and ninety. I am Master Torgo, eighties Jeff, Commander K, and we are here to talk week and geek. And we are in the same room. You might have yes. figured that out by how decent this actually sounds. All fully vaccinated, all in the same room. There you go. All taking that risk. <laughs> it's so exciting, and of course, Kit is here to the, the official mascot of the show, keeping us company. Kit's there freaking out. He literally is overwhelmed by the fact that there are people. Yes, here, dude. He's going crazy. He he <laughs> he uh, he misses people. Like he yeah, he was visitors. he was rubbing against my leg, and I'm like, you don't ever do that. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah. And he kept. Yewin to get my attention. I looked down. And I'm like, "What's going on?" He's just like. Although he didn't take your chair. No, he didn't I was, take my I chair. I was surprised. Yes. I was waiting for that. He didn't do the usual. Just sit in Jeff's chair. Well, he keeps looking down at my leg. I don't know what he's looking at. <laughs> but like, I, I've not seen him do that. Like he's literally hanging his head over the yeah. edge of the table. Yeah. Looking down at my leg, and mm, I'm like, "Meat, okay, what are you doing?" Yeah, he's very happy to have visitors. Oh. I, I, this is this is exciting. Now uh, we're only going to do this uh, once, probably once, maybe twice a month, uh, as and things keep going again. One because we want to keep Andy in the show, and he's still on the other side of the United States. We do want to keep him in the show. Yes, we do. Oh, Absolutely, well, we do. Right, and okay. he's on a plane right now, anyway. So right, and of course we want to have uh, our occasional guests in as well. So we're going to sure. be going back and forth uh, doing this, but we're we're back live. In the studio, bitches. It's great. Are we live? It's yeah. it, it's really funny. I remember mentioning that at uh, at Matt and Paulette's house. It's like yeah, doing it live, and and Paulette was like, "Doing what live?" Because <laughs> it's like, well, even when we're doing it online, we're doing it live. <laughs> we're just we're just online. I've I've tried to change my vernacular on that. That we're doing it in person. We're yeah. we're yes. in person. Right, because so, right. live is is still far away. Yeah, although it does feel live. 
So there you go. Oh, and, and, and here, camaraderie within the room. Yes. A room filled with tons of toys from Paul Mattingly. Yes. Paul dropped the toy bomb on you this last yes, week. Yes, he did. He carpet bombed me with toys. How many big, now we're talking big moving boxes. Yes. There's yes. stuff, in, I, I didn't notice the stuff in the other room until yeah. I, I went uh, towards the refrigerator and I was like, yeah. whoa, there's more stuff in here. Yeah, like uh, two foot by three foot by two foot maybe, or two and a half feet uh, dimension boxes, and there are like four of those, some plastic, some cardboard. I keep on in the- uh, Full the, uh, of collectibles. Yes, yeah, collectibles. Uh, this is this is vintage Paul Mattingly uh, stuff that's uh, worth something. Yeah, it, yeah, indeed. He he gave me this really gorgeous uh, uh, Ghostbusters lithograph that's already framed, and it just take a look at it, Todd. It just, it's incredible. I, I, was, I was salivating o- over it yes. while you were in the restroom. He was. He was actually. Um, of course, I keep eyeing the uh, the Robbie the Robot Forbidden Planet over there because that <laughs> that is the same artwork on the collectible poster that I have somewhere. Because yeah. uh, Forbidden Planet's one of my uh, my favorite classic movies. I mean, it's oh, it's very dated. It doesn't hold up well against a lot of modern movies, but it's still an enjoyable flick. And you know, for the nostalgia factor. And the first time you uh, watch, the first time Vernon Wilmer watches it, you have a ball because right. He is uh, actually um, uh, mortified at how much Star Trek <laughs> came from Forbidden Planet. Yes. He's just sitting there like, the whole thing, the whole thing is from... Uh, except except uh, no Robbie the Robot. And this Robbie yeah. is uh, pretty much one-sixth scale, so yeah. he'll go great with my G.I. Joes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a massive, uh, beautiful piece of toy manufacturing. Yes, it is. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? I got a bed in a box. Now, I know... Wait, wait, wait. didn't you already talk about getting the bed in the box last uh, week? Well, yeah, but that was wrestling it into my home. Okay, so so now that you've slept on it... Oh, my God. It's everything you wanted it to be. Uh, uh, Todd, Jeff... Uh, Jeff. <laughs> Andy has used the phrase uh, uh, occasionally... On something on the order of life changing. Oh, and uh, it's really amazing. I have a back problem, and I'm kind of resigned slash used to waking up stiff and in some sort of pain. Like I have to be careful how I get out of bed and how I move and stuff. And this bed, I'm telling you, every single night since I've gotten it and slept in it, um, I wake up in the morning. I might be a little typical stiff but there's no pain wow i can roll right out of bed and get moving and that's a big difference it's a big difference good so i've had shitty beds for so long my parents my parents were you know they had this weird philosophy of you know don't spend money on beds right that's that's ridiculous and it's not you spend like a third of your life in bed my dad you know? was in his 60s when he uh, he got uh, like a California king bed, mm. but like a good one. Yeah. And he was just like, I don't think I can ever go back to a cheap mattress. Yeah, no. And and I'm like, this is a man that spent the majority of his life, you know, flying from town to town for the airlines. You know, you're overnight in a hotel, blah, blah, blah. Some of them that have some really good, 
you know, bedding, you know, comfortable mattresses. Yeah, they do, yeah. But to him, a place to sleep was just a place to get horizontal yeah. and get your, you know, your six to eight hours and then turn around and work. But as he got older and he got the, that that California king bed that was it was actually it was a bed that was initially gifted to him mm. and then he replaced the mattress with an, another good one uh, but kept the uh, the frame right the California that, king frame that's and what he I was did. just like oh wow yeah night and day difference dude it is it is this is this is the Casper which mm-hmm. is the company that really started doing the whole bed in a box business uh, the hermetically sealed foam beds that are really scrunched down and everything super compressed um yeah very much so and dude i've been researching beds cuz this was sort of an impulse buy mm-hmm. they had them just for a couple well several hundred dollars at costco which is almost half of what it would cost to order online right and i was just like uh, I thought about it for several minutes, and then I pulled the trigger. Right. Yeah, you know, we went through that story, but I am not regretting it. I mean, I'll take naps just so I can get in this bed. There have been mornings <laughs> when I woke up and I stayed in bed for several more hours because it was just great to be there. But it's um, it's amazing, and this is the I got the basic. I will say, a foam mattress does sleep a little hot. But um, I like to keep my AC juiced up anyway, so I don't think that's going to be a big issue for me uh, in the summer. But boy, oh boy, dude, it is a huge difference. I cannot, I can. It's like the best six or seven hundred dollars I will, I have ever spent in my life. I'll say that flat out right wow. now. Now, except now that, for that one time in Thailand, but yeah. <laughs> well, but but because you've survived the unboxing, have you checked out any of the uh, the compressed mattress fail vids? That are oh, out there? I, I've already seen oh some. Oh my they god, are those, some of those are oh, no. ridiculously and, funny. And dude, you ha- you you have to do that. You have to like do it to make it happen. Because yeah. me, I'm pulling it apart and I do a little cut, and you hear this. And it just starts slowly inflating because I did a little tiny cut. I didn't do this big old slash. Yeah. So um, you actually have to work to get that excellent fail where it just flips in your face <laughs> and stuff like that. Because mine really didn't do that. Although some of the hybrid ones though that had the box springs built in, those have those have a lot more spring to them dude, when you un- when you undo them. They're doing that now. Yep. They've got spring mattresses that are compressed and rolled up now. Those are the Which ones, is just ridiculous. Those are the ones that lead to most of the fail vids. Because, yeah. yeah, I could see that. Because yeah. there's a strap. Because mine had one too. There's a strap that goes around it, and it says, mm-hmm. "It says unfold here, unfold here, cut this last and right. run." And then it says, "It says use extreme caution when cutting right. this, this strap." Like now, mine uncurled gently mm-hmm. because I followed the directions. But sure. these videos on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. you see people with their scissors and they're like, well, I can't quite get it to cut. And then they start, and then they put some force on it. The thing snaps and <laughs> the bed yeah. flips open and knocks them across the room. It's like a, it's like a, a somebody hitting a mine in a yes. Vietnam War movie <laughs> oh, or Jesus something. Just, <laughs> yeah. So goddamn fun. But I, I, I cannot, I cannot recommend it enough it's worth the money because it it is amazing my my back has not felt and my back has been giving me severe problem for the past month and my thought now is that basically sleeping on a shitty mattress 
my back was not healing while I was asleep. It's possible. Right? It was just like plateauing or maybe even degenerating a little bit. And then it would be during the day while I'm moving around that my back is doing any kind of healing it might be able to do. But once I started doing this thing, it was the first week that I honestly felt I've got some day-to-day improvement going on in my back. So I cannot, wow. I cannot stress it enough. Fantastic. Absolutely. I also went to uh, Paulette and Matt's place. You, you've seen the Maple Leaf Lair. I've seen the Maple Leaf Lair. Chateau yeah, the, du Maple Leaf. Yeah, <laughs> Canada in uh, Las Vegas. Um, nice home. Nice home. Nice tall home. They sprang for the nine foot ceilings. Oh wow! And that nice. just that makes for that's that's quite the difference. Yeah, place looks spacious and and uh, met Meg, you know the galumphalumph Meg. Shut up, Meg. Yeah, forty five pounds of uh, golden lab puppy that and, just and growing. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the, she's not done yet. She's probably going to top 100, I would imagine. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. Matt or at least it. real close to it. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be a big one, though. And she's she is. She's just a bundle of energy. And she'll still think right. she's a lap dog when she's oh, way yeah. too heavy to be a oh, lap dog. Oh, dude. At one point, she got the zoomies. And there's this 45-pound puppy running around the living room, up on the couch, across the couch, <laughs> down, down the hallway, slide, bam, into the wall, coming back again. It's just crazy. And it's really funny because Matt's like, what the hell are you doing? And Paulette's playing with her. <laughs> Paulette's like, you excited? You happy? And, you know, but. I can see Matt going, what? What's go- what is this? Who, tur- yeah. who, who flipped the switch? <laughs> At one point, we're sitting, um, Lewis and Stephanie are sitting, Major Meh and uh, Rumcake are sitting next to each other. And we're, we're, we were playing D&D at the Matt and Paulette's uh, pub, pub height table. And we were in the pub chairs. And uh, Meg actually belly crawled underneath Lewis's and Stephanie's chairs as uh, <laughs> she was playing with her bone. Oh, okay. So she's underneath their chairs just <laughs> just chomping on this bone, which uh, uh, Matt and Paulette apparently called the dildo oh. bone because it actually it, it actually looks like they did buy from the wrong department on Amazon. <laughs> When they got this for the so dog. So they got the dill bone? I, was not you know the, what? That was not the bone you were actually looking for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it, hmm. So, but it, yeah, she's a sweetie. And Major Meh, a man who, you know, he's not quite on Andy Taylor level of doesn't understand the meaning of pets, but he's uh, sort of there. Uh, they they rescued a little pity. A little pity named Duchess. Aww. A sweet little dog. Met her at their place when I went down to see their place because they're right down the street. Uh, Typical American neighbors already. Uh, Apparently, Matt even has a story of getting locked out of his house and having to ask Stephanie to come over with a key (laughs) to let him in. That's I, I, it's wonderful they live so close to each other. It's 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 hilarious how that developed, but yeah, so. So yeah, and we played D&D, which was fun. I actually cribbed some rules from uh, the PAX East 2018 uh, Acquisitions Incorporated live show. Really? Mike Kroholik uh, ran it, and he did some zany, zany stuff. So I tried to emulate some of that and use some of the, the rules and stuff that he used for them just to get, you know, do a one-shot and get back into a little playing, so... You know, I, I have to admit, 
I have kind of lost my taste, my flavor for D&D over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. I still like it, but I haven't felt anything that really pulls me back to role-playing games, tabletop. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, just, just haven't found the inspiration to really just go, yeah, I really want to do this. Uh, until this week. Mm. Um, there, we, we talked uh, a story a couple of weeks ago of one of the podcasts out there. There's so many Dungeons & Dragons live play podcasts. So oh, my many. God. Throw, your, throw a die and you'll hit one. Uh, but we talked about uh, Dark Dice. That's the one that Jeff Goldblum um, is joining. Oh, okay. Uh, and so I was curious to say, okay, why of all shows is Jeff Goldblum doing this one? Sure. Why, why, of all the ones out there, because there's there's a lot of high-profile ones out there now. Why this? And so I've been listening to it over the last week, and it's kind of warmed up the D&D bug in me. It's that Whoa, good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, shit. Uh, what really sets this one apart is, one, they really lean into the horror of D&D. This, this is D&D horror. Okay. All right. Because when you're playing D and D and you're fighting the undead or so on, uh, you know you're you're the stalwart cleric or paladin and so on, and and I can take this uh, with, and it really kind of shies away of what makes some of these monsters and Dungeons and Dragons horrific. Um, there's a creature in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, those who know the great monster compendium lore, uh, called the Intellect Devourer, a a, a, a mouthful of a dumb name for a monster, but an absolutely frightening creature when it comes down to it. It's, it's kind of like the head crabs of, yeah. uh, of, uh, half-life fame. Yep. Uh, but it, it's, it's when you really lean into what those things do and how that affects <laughs> the, the, their victims and the people around those victims, there is a lot of horror in D&D that is just left on the cutting room floor of most people's tabletop games. Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. And Dark Dice leans into it. Nice. What really makes this one, I think, special compared to a lot of them is their heroes aren't. They aren't these grand beings uh, who are ready to take on all challenges they are people doing what they just feel is necessary. And they're not necessarily good people. They are not necessarily super heroic. They're kind of more along the lines of these are average people in a D&D world who have to now do what the adventurers are doing. They have uh. their abilities. They have their cleric or whatever. But they aren't heroes to start off with. They just have to do what they have to do for this. Hmm adventure that they're on so to speak and i'm so impressed with the quality of the show the audio quality is stupendous they write their own music they hire choirs to perform the music and and they're very proud of it and should be and and yes they do it in elven andy (laughs) they do it in in whatever elven they want to do it in it's fine but uh, after about 15 episodes, it is some harrowing shit. Wow. But some really, really good players who can really lean into the performance aspect of it. It's, it's obvious. And, and I can't imagine 
how much editing it takes to make this show work for because there's a lot of foley involved a lot of sound effects because it's obvious that they're recording the game as a game but then they're going back and the guy that's running the game is doing kind of an overall narration telling the story and then intercutting the players and so on and probably having them re-record some dialogue to create more of a good lord yeah that this is a production and after hearing it i can definitely see why somebody like jeff goldblum would say yeah yeah i can get in on this Mm -hmm. because one it does throw into the acting aspect of it and they have the the players that they have are from all over the world so you have this fantastic mixture of dialects like there's two from iceland and so on and and it's just really just adds to the whole thing so, are they are they uh, so they're remote recording they're yes. not even all in the same room indeed they are they are remote recording um so if you like that sort of thing uh real play podcasts dark dice definitely give it a chance uh and even if you're not into it or just into a good story this works too uh one thing i really like what they did with this to lean into the horror aspect of it is they implemented a sanity um uh characteristic to it so you're taking physical damage and you're also taking sanity damage for right. things that you experience get that whole uh, chaosium kind of thing yep uh and that i if you're going to do a D with a horror edge to it add this mechanic to your game it really really works for this sort of thing and it's i'm even considering buying the adventure because they've once the adventure is all done they have it available to their patrons but they also have it i think on like drive through rpg so you can actually wow. download the adventure that they did because i want to see the behind the scenes stuff that the dm's working with wow because I, I i want to peek behind the curtain right <laughs> because there are some things <laughs> there was like one moment where, where where dms you know this that he set up these five pages of things and the characters instead went that way and ignored the five pages of thing. So yeah, it's just, it comes with this, but it's funny when it happens in this sort of thing where you have this professional uh, story that's being told. And then you get these little asides within the game of like, yeah, yeah, I had the five pages for that, but go ahead, just go ahead and uh, move over there. If you want to, it was in those five pages, I guess you're just going to have to buy the adventure. So dark dice, it's definitely worth it. Nice. And uh, just to uh, uh, clear up some business uh, for the Geek Shock Book Club, we're reading The Android's Dream by John Scalzi, about a quarter of the way through it right now. Uh, But we're also taking nominations for next month's book, and the poll will probably be coming up soon. So if you want to get your nominations, get them in fast. And we had another pinball tournament come to an end. Oh, shit. Yep, so there it is. And this this was the one. This was the comeback tournament for Barry, right? This is the tournament that he had, he had a grasp on the rules. He, he now knows how things work, that if he rage quits a game, that's a game. Yep. And you only get three chances. So here we are. Here are the top five players of the tournament. Now, again, this is the Williams Pinball Table Funhouse, a classic pinball table. They have it at the Pinball Hall of Fame, and almost any pinball arcade will have this in their 
lineup. All right. So at number five, we have Aussie Matt with uh, almost 3.5 million. Number four, we have Vlark. He huh. ranked four with 5.7 million. Well, at least he made it into the top five. <laughs> now, next up, number three. This uh-huh. is an interesting one. It's somebody goes by the name of Pinballer, as in pinball with the R, letter R at the end. Okay. This is somebody that Barry recruited to play this to try to top, topple my score. Okay. This guy is uh, has his own Twitch channel and basically is a competitive pinball player. Wow. Right. He came in at number three. At seven point one million, so Mister Hyde at number two beat Pinballer with eleven point four million. I'm just trying to go back and figure out Barry's Ringer <laughs> placed third. I mean, that's just you. You can't script a better movie than that. <laughs> it's like it's like okay, so I'm gonna bring in this Ringer. He's a professional f- pinball player. He's gonna fucking take out Vlarg. Vlarg's gonna have his Ringer take out Torgo, and he places third. and at number one some fool named torgo who uh there's your ringer that's the that's the (laughs) that's the grift right there number one (laughs) who uh doubled the second place score 22 million (laughs) 22 million Wow. But I also want to thank uh, Aussie Matt, uh, Mr. Smelly Pants, which of course is Pat Spurl. Uh, Pat Spurl also starting his own uh pinball tournaments out there so if you want to play pinball tournaments still uh he keeps throwing them out there and and they're a lot of fun so look for mr smelly pants he's playing it on steam but you can look up the tournaments whether you're playing on ps4 and i believe xbox as well uh chadwick gundy bum also played jeffy roth it's awesome that you played as well let me look uh, i have to go a little further down for the, the rest of them here a little further yeah. down leon met uh, uh dave raiders on there uh I can't remember who uh, D. Aschel 209 is. So, and uh, Froyog Soft Serve and Microscope all involved. That's the biggest pinball tournament we've had so far. It's about 14 players. Wow. So, Crazy. thank you everybody for playing. There will be another tournament uh, just because it's, it's fun watching Barry squirm and try. <laughs> well, sounds like fun. Will occurs. <laughs> Jeff, what'd you do this week? Uh, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of watching a lot of uh, theme park videos. Oh, they're the best. Because I feel like it's not going to be much longer before I can finally go back to one. Um, I really am itching to go back to Disneyland, even though I don't have my annual pass anymore. God damn it, Disney. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm highly looking forward to Avengers Campus opening at Disney's right. California Adventure. And that's supposed to be coming up this summer. Hey, finally a reason to go to California Adventure. And my buddy Darren and I, who you know we, we all know on the show here, uh, Cork's most famous bartender. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he and I chatted uh, this week about as soon as they start letting uh, non-California residents, residents go to Disneyland, planning a trip. And he's already got the okay from his missus, so... Um, cause basically they're both huge Disney fans. Any Disney trip that's without her has to be okayed by her. Wow. Because but I get it. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's a thing that they share. Right. 
but she's not as into the whole Avengers thing, and he and I are. So that's another Jeff and Darren road trip, uh, you know, because we did the, you know, little over a year ago. Actually, it's been almost a year and a half ago now, I was just realizing, when we went to Galaxy's Edge. The and lost actually, year. Yeah, and actually did get to ride Rise of the Resistance. Um, and it's funny watching some of these theme park videos because so many people are getting in there trying to get their boarding pass and not getting it and then trying the next day not getting it. So I still count myself as very fortunate to have been on that ride when so many people try and so many people do not. And then you have those weird theme park video hosts that somehow seem to always get a pass onto it. Like Adam the Woo has gone on it like a dozen times. That's unheard of. I, I don't know of any other theme well, park video producer that has been on it that many times. Well, Adam the Woo spends a third of his life in Disney parks. That's true. And now that he's moved to Florida and is living in Celebration, Florida, and has his annual pass to Disney World, like all of his videos over the last like six months have been yeah. at Disney World, with one or two exceptions. But it's just bizarre to me that he's been on it that many times. Um well, if you figure that he's been in, in that park probably for 60 days in that time. Oh, at, at least, if not more. A, a dozen seems right. So, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, yeah, if you get a chance to go to either of the Disney parks and you get a chance to go to Galaxy's Edge, I hope you're able to get a, uh, a boarding pass for Rise of the Resistance because it is definitely a ride worth checking out. But, uh but yeah, just watching a lot of those videos this last week. I don't know why. It just it was like it was a bug I had that I needed to itch, and uh, you know, I did. I watched Dude. a lot of them, and some that I was discovering that I'd never even heard of before. Um, but like, I think uh, Offhand Disney was one that I hadn't really. I think it had popped up in my feed, but I never actually watched any of them. There's so many out there. Fresh, now. fresh baked popped up, and I'm like, I, I. I know I've seen these people in other people's videos, sure. but I just never clicked with their videos. Inside the Magic, Fast Pass Facts. Super Enthused. Uh, there's one, there's a Jackie 702, I think, that's from Vegas originally, but doesn't live here now or whatever. Anyway, she's got a whole line of videos. But yeah, all those people know each other. Because, I mean, I, Justin Scard, I'd watched a lot because he's a Random Land Adventures but his channel is under his actual name instead of Random Land Adventures, which is always confusing to me. But at any rate, he, he does some fun videos. Um, and he's got to go back to Disneyland recently. So that was I, that, I think that was the one that kicked it off because he's no. a California resident and had got to go back not only on the opening day, but had got to go back a couple of times since. So anyway. I think my favorite of all the traveling vloggers out there, and I put this, Pat Spurl put up on the uh, Shock Monkeys lair. Hey, throw out there, uh, what are some unknown YouTube people that you like uh, to watch? I know what you're going to say. Carpetbagger. Yep. I absolutely, if you have not watched the Carpetbagger, he is this chubby, jolly fellow. I think he lives in South Carolina. Something like that. And uh, he, he calls himself the car Carpetbagger because he used to live up like in Indiana or Ohio and then moved down south. He was a social worker, and then on the weekends, he would go out to these like old, forgotten, and, and barely still alive, Route 66-style 
cheap tourist trappy stuff. Yes. So he hits the Gatlinburgs and the Bransons and right. and just does all the low rent shit. And he, it is so fun because he absolutely loves tourist trap stuff. And so, that, and that's all he does now. He he ended up quitting his job and just does yeah. this full time. And he takes so much joy in what he's doing. He's endlessly positive and going to all these forgotten storybook forests and di- this uh, dude that built dinosaurs in his backyard and charges five bucks for people to go see it in his woods. You right. Know, that, that kind of stuff that just you just don't see. And, of course, he goes to a lot of Ripley's and things like that and right. wax museums. But he's definitely worth watching. And you will find attractions that you did not know exist and... In some cases, probably shouldn't exist, but a lot of them are just, just it, it makes me want to go out and go to these places again. And so, I, I miss the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum that we had here in Vegas. At the Four Queens. Yep. It was, I thought it was fun. It was. And it just sadly faded into obscurity. Didn't it just like close one day? People like walked up and it was like, oh, the doors are locked. And then... It just slowly disappeared. It seemed like that, although they did, they did announce it. Oh, okay. But uh, it was, I mean, it was early in the Ripley's Museum age of time. I and mean, it came in the and went in the 90s. Uh, yeah. So early 90s, it arrived. Late 90s, it was gone. That sounds about right. But uh, yeah, back when Vegas was still uh, on its way to being somewhat of a Gatlinburg of its own. That's true. We, we <laughs> used to have a lot of like, crazy interesting attractions that for lack of a better word were like roadside attractions but we're all on the strip yeah. <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. oh this has this now okay cool and i love it that that they keep trying uh, and yeah. that, that even though that that age of vegas is gone uh they don't give up it usually doesn't work right but you go quick because you know it's going to be gone eventually. Uh, Avengers uh, has stayed here longer than I thought it would. Oh, yeah. Like, when you and I went, I'm like, I don't think this is going to last more than a few years. And it's still there. I'm, I'm hoping Meow Wolf stays forever. Oh, me uh, too. But as the Vegas attractions, who knows? Like the Goratorium, Eli Roth's Goratorium. Yeah. That was a, a what, that was around a year? Yeah, something like I that. I didn't even get there. Yeah. I didn't either. Of course, they didn't cast me, so fuck them. Yeah. So, so when they <laughs> happen, you know, jump on it quick. Although there's another one that I'm very surprised is still around. I still haven't gotten to it, and I'm glad it's still around because I haven't gotten to it, and that is the Monster Museum in Boulder City. Oh, right, yeah. yeah one of the effects artists he was uh, in that... Uh, costume and makeup effects show that was on yeah. sci-fi channel uh, and uh, face off yes and then he also worked for like full moon productions and he's done some effects for asylum productions but he's cobbled together this monster museum of stuff that he's worked on or uh monster effect stuff that he's collected in his own and plus things that he's built on top of it and created this museum in boulder city nevada which is 45 minutes from the center of las vegas and yeah, it's it's still there. I, I honestly didn't think it survived the p- pandemic, but it's doing fine. I need to look up and find out. There's a a cinema museum that opened up during the pandemic here in Vegas. Um, it's 
last I checked their website, they were still open. But they have all kinds of movie props, uh, animatronics, uh, all kinds of like uh, stuff that's been in movies. Yeah, it's like in a, and, a, a, a mall, like a like yeah, a plaza. It's yeah, it's it's weirdly back behind where the Westgate Hotel is, which was oh, the, okay. what used to be the Hilton, uh, which used to be where Star Trek: The Experience was located. So, I want to say it's called St. Louis Plaza, but it because it's very it's very much like a New Orleans centered area. Or not St. Louis Plaza, sorry. Uh, it's a very New Orleans look, themed mini mall that's over by where the uh, Las Vegas Little Theater, that, or not the Las Vegas Little Theater, oh. the um, the theater that we used to go watch Paul uh, yeah. show at. That was the, off of Sahara. The, the Yum Yums used to yes, perform uh, it. Yes. I just, I, for some reason, I am blanking out on the commercial name of that theater. Commercial Center? Yes, Commercial mm-hmm. Center. They have a separate area that's essentially a, a New Orleans themed mini mall. Um, and it's uh, and it's in that area. I believe the carpetbagger went to that when he was in Did Vegas he? here like a month ago. I was just shocked when they when I saw the announcement that they were opening it during the pandemic. I was like, okay, that's, that's very interesting, very yeah. weird timing. And and apparently it had been in the works for quite a while. Hmm. So I'm interested to see if it's still there. And we still but, got uh, that 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 haunted thingy, Zach Baggins, Baggins haunted museum. Thingy, that's yeah. another one I'm surprised is still around because. I don't know of anybody that's actually gone to it, but apparently it's busy enough to stay open. Yeah. yeah right. when I, I drive by it every now and then, and I see people in line waiting to yeah. get in. So, yeah. So I'm glad it's working out. Yeah. That's that's Vegas for you. Things that, come and go. That so. asshole bought the Poltergeist clown. Right. So now if I want to visit it, I got to go to his goddamn haunted house. Ah. Uh, yes, you Have do. you yet? No, I still haven't. Ah. Uh. Still but it's on the list, right? How long? How long will he hold out? Eh, who knows? Mm. He'll make it happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 issue is that I I can't go alone. My wife would want to see that. If I went without her, that'd be it. And it's a matter of her feeling well enough to go. Indeed. So who here saw Army of the Dead? Didn't get a chance Have to watch it. Not yet. yet. I was going to do it this afternoon, and well, I took a nap in my great bed. So, <laughs> my I had to make it a point. My afternoon flew by too because I'm like, okay, I'll have just enough time to watch this before meeting for the podcast, and then life got in the way. Yeah. You know, between taking longer to go get gas and get food and do all this other stuff that I had, you know, because I this last week was the first week I'd returned to working four days straight as opposed to the three days a week that we were doing before. So getting used to that extra day's worth of work and then suddenly realizing, yeah. oh, I have to now do all of my errands within a certain period of time and then going, well, I can't do them all today, so what can I get done today? And getting some of those done and then going, ah, shoot, the stuff that I wanted to do for the podcast, I now can't do, which watching Army of the Dead was one of them. And it's on the list. It's yeah. not like it's not like I'll take it or leave it. I, I want to see it. I'll see it. And yeah. it's not like it's a small endeavor. This no. isn't a 90-minute production. No. I watched it over the course of two evenings. Did you? Yeah. Really? It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Wow. So that one and MODOK are both on my watch list. Sure. Uh, I will say I am disappointed <laughs> really? really yes i am I, I and i went i wanted to like it i this to me felt like a culmination of a promise 
uh, uh, for those that have followed us way back to the Ugly Couch Show days, right? Our last big interview at Comic Con was Zack Snyder. Yes, he was. Uh, it was Watchmen time. Yep, and so we got to interview him for a little bit, and and just kind of had like a personal question at the last moment, asking if he would return to horror, and uh, and he said, yeah, yeah, he's got some ideas, and apparently this idea for Army of the Dead was from this time, he, right? This this he had already just gestated this plan, so this was his return to horror, and I love his version of Dawn of the Dead. It's one of the best zombie movies out there, in my opinion. Uh, with all, all the scrapes within it, there's so many fun surprises. And this time was a b- bit of a disappointment. Oh, no. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it wasn't fun. It was fun. And the action scenes, great. Zack Snyder can shoot action all day, every day, and I'll watch it. The script is dumb. The script is just hurt. If you... If you want to enjoy this movie, turn your brain off. <laughs> do not. Do not think about what you're seeing. Do not ask why. Do not ask why they start talking about a thing that could be affecting the movie when it doesn't. There's a lot of dumb characters and a lot of dumb plot points. Oh, uh, okay. But there's a lot of fun action and a lot of destructed Vegas that is fun to look at. Okay. Do I want to see more movies in this universe? Because they are, of course, building it into a cinematic universe of its own. Uh, yeah, I do. I think there's some really neat ideas in here. Um, they do some things with zombies that, frankly, I haven't seen done yet and would like to see more of. I, I want to know why uh, the Terminator is in this all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's not, not a spoiler to say it. It's kind of like a throwaway thing. It's like, why, why did that look like that? Why, why, why did that happen? I rewound the movie to look at it again to see, to make sure I saw what I saw. Really? And I'm like, what? Wow. So, and, and I got a feeling they'll reference that in a because they're working on an anime. They're working on a prequel. He already has ideas for a sequel that he wants to do. Uh, it's obviously doing well so far. The, the buzz on it's positive. Oh, yeah. I and, didn't see that. And I understand the buzz being positive, but uh, there are character moments in this movie that do not work. Uh, there are emotional mo- moments in this movie that do not work. And the thing that disappoints me the most are there are no surprises in this oh, movie. Oh, see, that's, and, that's tough. And you at least want some surprises in a zombie movie, but it's no fun when you're looking at it knowing exactly who's going to die and when. And and I'm not talking like bef- just before it happens. Like you you know just about how long this character has to last <laughs> based on what their function is in the movie. And when that function is over, they're gone. There's wow. there's yeah. It it follows way too much of a Hollywood script kind of feel. Uh, somebody saved the cat. You know you know who's going to get killed and by what the moment that you see them interacting with things. It's but again. It's not good, but I enjoyed myself. Right. So, and I would like to see more in this crazy over-the-top universe. Well, all right then. I'm still it's, looking forward to it. It's funny. I, it's that you brought up the uh, the Zack Snyder interview because I was actually just telling that story to somebody uh, this last week because that movie was coming out, <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, we actually got to interview him back in the day. It's good to see that he's finally." Um, 
getting back to horror like he was talking about in our interview and somebody goes wait you you interviewed Zack Snyder and I'm like yeah that was a fun uh, that was a fun interview because we were told we would have 15 minutes we get there we wait we wait we wait then we're told we have 10 minutes then we finally get in to get the camera set up they told us we can ask five questions halfway not not even halfway through the five questions we're told that's it you guys you're done to his credit though Zack Snyder actually encouraged Todd to ask his final question because he could definitely tell that we were being rushed out of there and was trying to placate his his handlers but also give us a good interview but it was just funny because you know you you got what two questions in and yeah. then they they cut us and he said oh well I just had one last uh important question that I wanted to ask and they're like, no, 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 we gotta go. You guys gotta go. And then he's and he's and Zack Snyder's like, no, 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 no. Ask your question. I want to hear your question. And uh, that was the, of course, the uh, the question about if he would return to horror. And uh, he was a nice guy too. And yeah. it definitely seemed like he was trying to, I don't know, accommodate our questions and push his handlers away. But uh, they ended up making it so untenable that we couldn't continue, even though he was trying to yeah. answer our questions. Yeah, Zack so. Snyder, Kane Hodder, and Robert England are the the highest points of our Ugly Cap Show interview days. Yeah. Oh, um, well, wait, wait. You, 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 you're going to just skip over Satine Phoenix? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, Satine was wonderful. The Kane, and it's funny. I also brought up the Kane Hodder one, too, because I was talking to somebody about having interviewed Robert England and Kane Hodder, and they're like, Seriously? How cool is that? And I'm like, well, he knocked my uh, my friend Todd across the room. <laughs> he did. It's like he hit Todd so hard. I thought he was. I thought Todd was playing it up for the camera. Turns out, Kane Hodder really doesn't understand his own strength because slapped me in the back and about took me down. Yeah. He, it, when, oh. when, we'd, when we'd stopped recording, Todd, I goes like that was awesome. He goes. He hit me so hard. <laughs> and I'm like, he did? <laughs> and it was like, it was this nonchalant slap on the back, just like a, you know, right. like a friendly kind of thing. But uh-huh. Todd lurched forward. And I, I, seriously, I'm sitting there behind the camera going, oh, he's playing it up for the camera. That's awesome. Come to find out, nope, that was real. All right. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> even Robert England it, it reacted. He was just kind of like, huh? <laughs> Not knowing exactly what had just happened. <laughs> But yeah, we should get that hand Great guys. tattooed. Make that permanent. <laughs> it is. It's that's it's a permanent mark on my back. <laughs> and I've been playing a lot of Earth Defense Force Five. Uh, if you don't know this game, and doesn't surprise me if you don't, it is a Japanese game. I believe it's by Koei. What? If I Earth Defense right? Force Five is a Earth- title of a Japanese game, right? I can't believe it. It's stupid. The game has always been stupid. It, it looks graphically like it belongs in the last generation. And when I say last, I'm talking Xbox 360, PS3, all right? I still have a 360. You, you know what? There are Earth Defense Force games. I think two is available to you. If you wow. Like. And that's a fun one, too. It's stupid, giant, monster fun. The the whole idea is that you are part of this group that defends Earth from whatever outside attack might happen, and you get attacked by aliens who are dropping giant ants and spiders into the world, and Godzilla, not Godzillas, and 50s-style giant robots, and 
just ridiculous, over-the-top science fiction fun. Well, I want to see this movie. It is. I would I would watch the Earth Defense Force movie, mm-hmm. and they won't make it, but no, I want to watch damn it. Damn them. Uh, and, of course, the, the dialogue is the most insipid translation, just the, the worst actors. It's awful, but the gameplay itself is just dumb fun. Drop you in an open city environment all the buildings are destructible. You get to choose your weapons. Now go fight the invaders. And Well, this sounds like my kind of game. I think you'd really like it. And then you just go until that scenario is over, and it kind of tells a long, overarching story. And when I say long, uh, there's like 50 to 60 chapters, uh, scenarios. Story. But that, no. Story. Trust me, it's story in quotes, okay? There's, there's no story <laughs> I was going to say, Todd, you know me in story. The story is... Oh, no. Ants are coming up. Shoot them. Oh, no. There's more ants over here. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Giant robot. Oh, you beat it. Next scenario. All right. Yeah, it's, that's the story. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at some of the pictures. Yeah, you're right. That does look very, I mean, almost Xbox, the original Xbox yeah. era, like PS2, original Xbox. I think the first ones came out in that era, the very first one. Right. Uh, but... What what's fun is that when monsters die, they they leave these a, a big green box that says weapon or a big red box that says armor, and at the end of every scenario, you see what weapons you picked up, and the thing has just so many different kind of weapons, and you 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 choose your class, and of course there's like a, a flight thing and a are you armored like- are you mech or depends? I mean, one of the classes is basically a, one a, a mech isn't. armor, okay. so it's it's not like a mass massive mech, but right, kind of like get away from her, you bitch kind of armor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, and then as you're collecting more of these guns, they start upgrading, and then just becomes a whole game of collecting the loot and then playing the scenario either over again if you want to collect better loot or just go on to the next one, which you just plain do. So it, it's always has that chasing the carrot of what's the next crazy gun I'm going to find that is going to be absolutely lo- useless in the next scenario. It oddly sounds right up your alley, though. It is. It's dumb, <laughs> stupid action stuff. And it's it shouldn't be as fun as it is. But I can see why they have five of them. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's dumb fun. Kind of dumb fun in the same way that uh, Dynasty Warriors is. Okay. Where you're just, it, you're an overpowered dude in Dynasty Warriors with a ridiculous weapon, and they just throw hordes of soldiers at you, and you have some kind of dumb scenario you go through, only instead of mi- medieval Japan or China, you're now doing future alien war. Gotcha. Because I know you love those ancient Japan slash China run and slash. The, I love the uh, Dynasty Warriors series. It's dumb fun. They've gotten horrible in the last 10 years. They used to be a lot of fun, and now they've kind of found a way to change it up and monetize it in a way that just stopped making them fun. Yeah. What was the other and one? They you tell stories to? too, don't they? That's I, I'm telling you. Kind of. Nothing ruins a good game like story. I don't know. What is it with these people? (laughs) 
<laughs> what was the other one you used to play with? Warriors Orochi or something like that? And Warriors or? Orochi is also part of the Dynasty Warrior franchise. Oh, okay. It's, so it's, same thing. Yeah. There's so many of those games, and they, they were pumping out like five a year. It was Dynasty Warriors. You're so broken, uh, but yet I can't quit you. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Let's do some mail, gentlemen. Uh, this next email that we got uh, from Cthulhu Collector might be my favorite uh, personal fan theory thing I've come across in a while. Oh my. Something that allows me to digest something that I have not been able to digest Oh, all right. in Star Wars. Uh-oh. Right? Metachlorian. Yes. Oh, shit. I yes. was just fucking around, Jeff. This, this email... <laughs> Has fixed midichlorians for me. Fixed? Fixed. Oh, bullshit. You re- I'm calling bullshit. You ready? All right. Greetings. I have a second way of fixing the whole midichlorian thing without eliminating them. Their level is not actually the reason a being has a strong force power. They're just microbes that need an environment with a high amount of force energy to survive. So since the Skywalkers are strong with the Force, more of them can survive there than being in with a, be in a being with low or no Force powers. Those microbes just need a very specific environment to survive in. Correlation does not equal causation. Right. I love it. Mm. That's, I, yeah, that's... I love that this just being a basically a benign parasitic right. uh, microbe that is just attracted to force, and that's where they can exist best. Well, they like aren't, they aren't why be... the force is, exists. They're there because the force is there. It well, doesn't sound parasitic. sounds more symbiotic. Perhaps. Well, well I, I don't not, know. Not even, not even I, that. I'm liking parasitic because it's like his explanation doesn't show what the that the midichlorians do any good. Right. And it's sort of like, I like that. Because they are, they're, then they are truly parasitic. <laughs> and that makes them a way that you can't actually measure the force in somebody by how many of these parasites are in their bloodstream mm-hmm. without actually being the cause of the force. And the force still can be that energy that surrounds everything as was in the original. Yeah. I, I, amazing. Uh, he also has a second part. Oh, I also have a bad impression request, Jeff. Oh, no. That's right. Welcome back. Here we go. The request is Dr. Vlarg being pleasant, nice, and liking things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Love uh... Cthulhu collector. First off Cthulhu collector. Thank you for fixing my life. I appreciate you for this. You're glorious for this. Thank you for my brain. Uh, but Jeff, you can do a Barry impression. I, I've heard you do yeah. a Barry impression. I have. But now can you do the hardest thing on the planet, and that is a positive Barry. I don't know, man. Hmm. That's a that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you I'm, thought I'm walking trying, was hard. I'm, I'm trying to think how to get in the, to the frame space to... to, to to even think of because there's Dude, so few divide times by I've, zero it doesn't exist yes, really what frame space there's 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 so few instances of barry being positive about something in in the 20 years that i've known him um yeah that's the thing about barry it's like the world could burn but then he'd complain about how hot it is <laughs> <laughs> 
So yes, being right. Doctor Vlog being pleasant, nice, and liking things. All right, Doctor Vlog being pleasant, nice, and liking things. <laughs> I know I can't. I I I don't even know where to start on this one. I'm like, I, it's literally. I'm like, I, I'm so torn. I'm trying to think. Because like my, my the normal avenue that I channel to do the Vlarg impression is the deep darkness is, in your is soul. Based, yes. yeah, is exactly based on that, and I'm like, it's almost like that and pleasant and niceless are just incompatible with each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vlarg is no Tom Hanks. That's true. Uh hmm. Meaning that he actually does uh, drink the blood of children. Yeah, yeah. That's true. He's he's more of a. Chet Hanks. <laughs> Chet Hanks. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's give this. Wow, a try. you're gonna try. I'm gonna try. gonna try. Shit. I'm probably gonna fail miserably, but I'm gonna try because we know I can do the vlog. I've done it on the show before. This is why Just he gets not, all the points. I guess all the points win the internet. Oh my God, Torgo! Oh my God, you're so awesome! I don't know even how to tell you how awesome you are. Oh, it feels dirty. That's, I know it doesn't wow. feel weird. Oh, it that's no. Weird. What did Torgo do to be so awesome? That's Ugh. that's the question that comes out of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a disturbing thought too. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. There, uh, I, uh, I like Star Wars. Uh, I, like, <laughs> I like I like. Oh my God! Oh my God! I like going on cruise ships. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's definitely not my best Vlarg. It, it was this moment that I realized Vlarg and Rick from Rick and Morty are the same person. There you go. <laughs> Just a fewer belches. <laughs> one or two. So thank you, Cthulhu Collector. One, wow. for giving us that nightmare, and two, fixing my midichlorian brain. Appreciate it. Uh, next email is from Sam from the UK, a.k.a. Brew Scoop. Hey, Geek Shock crew. Longtime listener, first-time writer. Well. I've been listening for quite a few years now, originally making the natural move over from Ice Cream Social. My first episode being the Force Awakens review, and I always felt bad for Andy to this day. Anyway, I'm writing today to give you two suggestions I think you guys might enjoy. First of which is a YouTube channel called in camera it's two guys from the uk focusing on filmmaking using physical effects think of the natural opposite to the corridor crew channel it's a fairly new channel but already they've done some great projects including filming a dynamic weather scene uh tie fighters uh as in the country <laughs> tie yeah, yeah. oh ang bach this is great <laughs> Uh, the Psycho House and recreating the opening shot of The Thing. I really think mm. they should be getting a lot more views than they currently do. My second suggestion is a British TV series called Inside Number Nine. It's black comedy anthology. The stories are linked only by the number nine. Settings include a suburban house, a gothic mansion, karaoke booth, and a barn. It it would be interesting to see if the British humor translates well over to yourselves, as personally, I find it hard when it comes the other way. I'm not entirely sure where you might be able to find it, but it's BBC produced show, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. I'm hoping to come to next year's Scoop Fest, so maybe I'll get to meet some of you there. All the best, Sam from the UK. Uh, one, Sam, I love British humor. 
I, 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 I get British humor more than American humor, usually, frankly. <laughs> um, so I, I can understand where you're coming from on that. So I do want to find this uh, number nine, inside number nine. So yeah. thank you for letting me know about it. I'm, I, I seem to remember hearing something about it. I'm trying to, uh, trying to parse if I'm just thinking of uh, the, uh, the animated movie number nine. It could oh be. yeah. So uh, okay, gentlemen, favorite British comedy show? Go. Some mothers do have them. Some others do have them. In the decade before he became the Phantom of the Opera, but after he was in Hello Dolly, Michael Crawford had a physical farcical comedy called Some Mothers Do Have Them, where he was a complete klutzy fool and it was loaded with physical humor loaded with nitwit humor and it uh, was very very funny i used to see it in kuwait it was part of a english language package that uh, ah. you know the tv station would get so i really enjoyed that and that was actually how i knew michael crawford wow so when I heard, I still remember to this day hearing about Phantom and being like, <laughs> him? What? So he was that kind of a goofball, uh, very, very funny. But that was, that, was, that was actually really, really funny. Hands down for me, it's got to be Monty Python. Um, can't, can't hurt I, the classics. I got really hooked on it when I was in my preteen and teen years. Because the PBS station in Wichita, Kansas, where I was at that time in my life, after I think it was about 10 p.m., they had the run of Monty Python, but it was in its uncut form. Because a lot of times when Monty Python would be aired on network television or in syndication here in the U.S., they would chop it up. And a lot of it, they would chop up, not just to cut out the nudity, but they would cut down some of the jokes. And I always found the 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 butchered, I like to call it, version of Monty Python distracting because there were some obvious jump cuts and just, it just didn't play well. But discovering that in that area, I'd say probably the junior high area, uh, really helped kind of inform my sense of humor. That and a few other movies that we previously discussed on the uh, the podcast. But getting to watch that, getting to see the, the full episodes, and also without commercials. That was the nice thing about that PBS uh, time slot was it was literally the whole shoe sh show straight through. No commercials, no interruptions, and it flowed so well. And then, of course, when you're at that age, too, you're like, boobs! <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, I'm watching PBS and there's boobs? <laughs> it's pretty crazy true, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's for me. Um, I mean, there's other British humor I like, but that's the one that I always go back to. I honestly have a hard time choosing a favorite. Right. So I'm just going to throw out three. When it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to skit, skit comedy, uh, I think my favorite is that Mitchell and Webb look. Okay, yeah. I, I absolutely adore that show. If you can find it, it's my favorite British sketch comedy ever. That's number wang. Number uh, wang? Number wang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, as far as kind of like an ongoing story kind of show, uh, Black Books, I absolutely adore Black Books, takes place in a used bookshop, uh, and the guy that runs it has no business running a used bookshop or actually just talking to human beings in general. It's it's beautiful. If you love books, it's a, it, itself a wonderful comedy just for that. But yes, that's great show. And of course, uh, Young Ones, I it's, it's yeah, so yeah, experimental, yeah. weird comedy that is the young ones. Yeah, it's I remember so you much fun. loved the young ones. You oh. watched that incessantly. Mike, you bastard! <laughs> I tell you, weren't you a fan of Black Adder too at one point? Yes. Or, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry not to love. That was one I never got. I could. I don't know what it was about it. I just couldn't get into. I. I it also could be I'm not a huge fan of Rowan Atkinson. I just don't oh, okay. find him personal. I mean, I respect the fact that he's. A talented individual, and he's been working consistently consistently for what forty years plus. Oh yeah. Um, but the Mr. Bean stuff, I just I I found it annoying and grating. Um, and maybe it's because of that that I haven't been able to really get into any of his other works. But uh, I remember you talking very fondly about Black Adder, and I I think I remember trying to watch it and just going, it's just not for me. Yeah, it's 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 tangentialness to Shakespeare that I absolutely adore sure. about it. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it's not for all comers, that's for sure. But uh, but thank you, Sam, for for writing in. Uh, we're going ahead and do one more mail, and we'll continue on. Sure. Uh, this one's from Aussie Matt. So I, I'm number five in the pinball tournament, if I remember right. Ah. Good day, fuckers. One. The ultimate what if Cronenberg made a Muppet movie movie is Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. Check <laughs> it out if you haven't already. It still amazes me that someone who put that hairy Kiwi weirdo who made this wonderfully appalling abomination in charge of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. You are correct. Completely correct. Yes. Meet the Feebles is the Muppet show that never should have been. So agreed. True. B. Where the fuck is your Patreon? By my calculations, it's been at least 600 years since you promised to do something about it. But does it exist? Apparently not. Three. When is Deb coming back on the show? We need some sweetness and light to counteract the dyspeptic hate monger that is Mr. Deb. (laughs) Mr. Deb. (laughs) That's all. Keep up the fuckery, Aussie Matt. (laughs) Mr. Deb. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's... Yeah. That is... Yes. <laughs> Thank you, so, Aussie Matt, yeah. for just giving us that glorious gift. Yes, really. Uh, the Patreon is coming soon, I promise. Uh, it's been trying to figure out how the Patreon and a business bank account works that's been... I don't have anybody helping me because I'm not paying a lawyer to do all of this stuff, so I've been doing it on my own which is why it's taken its time. I do apologize. And it's and now going back to work, I'm like doing it on my off days. So my hope is literally to have it done by June. See, that's, so, the, that's the official story. That is the official Cause, story. Because the real story actually is it's much like episode 500. <laughs> We've got the Patreon. We just, we, we, we don't, it's not we're not telling anyone about it i've right. i've asked a few people how they run their patreon and some of them are very forthcoming and very helpful with the information 
Some of them are like, oh, I don't know. It seems kind of personal. I, I don't really want to go into it because I, you know, the amount of money taxes. that I make. And, blah, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. So normally where you say Google is a great tool for finding out information like this, it's not so much when you're trying to start a business because you get a lot of conflicting information. Sure. Yes, you do. Sure. And then the same thing when you actually talk to people who are using those platforms. Right. One person will tell you one thing, another person will tell you another thing, and then a third person will tell you a completely different thing, and none of those three stories are compatible whatsoever. Yeah. But <laughs> yes, the business license is basically a done deal. The business bank account is the thing I'm trying to figure out with the Patreon. So yes, fingers crossed, June, I have it done. So it's not I haven't it's not I haven't been trying, and it's not that it's not for lack of want, it's because it's confusing as fuck. <laughs> and we appreciate you wanting us yes. to have a Patreon. Don't get, yeah. don't get me wrong. A lot. Don't worry. We'll we'll get something up for the five of you who are going to. <laughs> yeah. The five of you that will subscribe to hearing us talk about whatever in the, the Patreon bonus material. But just know that we do have some really awesome Patreon ideas that we've talked about before um, on our little behind-the-scenes stuff right. that we do before and after the shows. So. Yeah, I yeah. There's some. There are some really. I can back this up. There are some great ideas for Patreon rewards. So we appreciate your patience. I I know you know doing the fundraiser and then that's now you know, six months later and it's it feels like it's never going to happen. But it things are moving. I promise. It's not that it's not. It just doesn't seem like it because all that stuff is happening off the air, and <laughs> where only one or two people can actually see it. I've, I've had many a discussion with Barry about stuff we want to do, not only with the website, but uh, with a merchandise store. So Barry. Oh, you mean Mr. Deb? Yes, Mr. Okay. Deb. Mr. Deb. Sorry. I, I'll start referring to him as yes. that now on. Mr. Deb. And Fourth place, Mr. Deb. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I agree. Fourth place, in, Mr. Deb. Oh. In fact, uh, <laughs> Professor Biggs always says we need to have uh, Deb on more often because she really does bring a lot of positive geekiness to the show. And uh, I'm not even going to say a, fem a female perspective, but just a different perspective than what we talk about on a sure. weekly basis. Well, it's uh, as opposed to the time Steve tried to get us thrown in jail by su <laughs> suggesting a 16-year-old. Yes. <laughs> which, uh, it's like, She's wow, geeky. She Steve. knows her stuff, and I'm like, how old is she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not to mention oh, that time, so right. we won't mention yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there is that problem. <laughs> well, let's do the show that we're actually contractually obligated to do. Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Blah. I appreciate the attempt. I, uh, my, my voice is kind of rough from uh, <laughs> projecting through a mask four days straight. So. I'm, okay, I'm glad you're here to do the Steve part. That's a, uh, uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Give me that news I don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> you don't give a shit about amazon is said to be near to clinching a deal to buy mgm for close to nine billion dollars following a spate of reports last week that the two sides were seriously talking about a combination an agreement could be announced as early as this week the wall street journal reported if talks don't break down uh, MGM was valued around $5.5 billion last year. The deal would be a sec the second large merger in the media space this month, 
AT&T just agreed to spin off Warner Media to Discovery. The deal would give Amazon a vast library for its streaming prime video platform and IP like James Bond. Sources say the Amazon's absorption of the studio won't derail the MGM theatrical releases already scheduled for this year. Yeah. Yay, media consolidation. I really hate it. Every time it happens, I feel we get closer to Cyberpunk 2019. There you go. When Disney controls the world. I, I seriously, with, with, well, with the, the Discovery merger... That one was that Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, Discovery Networks and and Warner Media. That being combined, completely caught Di- me off guard. Discovery's got that kind of money. Uh, well, it's but it's they an, win it's Lotto actual, or something. It's an actual merger, merger, but it's basically Warner Media buying Discovery Networks. Oh, because they make a lot more money. But I was gonna say. Um, yeah, um, that one caught me off guard, but the MGM one really piqued my interest because, you know, they have a lot of IP, I should say, that they still haven't sold off because every few years they're teetering on the verge of bankruptcy and have actually yeah. been in bankruptcy several times. Like 2012, I think, was the last time, yeah. right? And they sell off IP um, to other media production outlets in order to, you know, Keep the boat afloat, if you will. Well, nine years, but, they're due. Um, yeah. Amazon's got the money to buy that studio. And on the one hand, I almost feel positive about them taking some of that IP and making some new shows. Like, they've, you know, MGM's held the Stargate license for a long time, but it's been sitting idle since they did their website launch and did that mini. Yeah. Um, I guess if you want to call it a web series that they eventually ended up releasing on Amazon Prime, cut together as a you know single, basically an hour long movie. So I would love for them to take the Stargate franchise and do something with it, you know, because it is sitting idle. We haven't had any new Stargate content in you know more than a decade now. And it's not and like we, we need that. <laughs> some people do some people do i like I'll how I, that just brought there. that just brought todd up it, short it really did <laughs> um but yeah i mean they've got other stuff that i mean what the not, hell do they have i don't even nothing i i, I can't nothing like mgm original ip um Jack bond is the only thing i could bond think is the biggest one they have that's really? the one that they have I won't say refused to sell off, but they have not entertained very many offers to sell off. Yeah. Um, I already mentioned Stargate. Um, Stargate and Bond. Well, there's you know, and, and it's funny because I just looked this up the other day in an article that was announcing that 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 uh, Amazon was looking to purchase it, and I now can't remember the other. Um, Do you think Amazon would put into production a James Bond TV series. I don't know that they would do a TV series, but I think they would probably want to do more films and do it on a more regular basis because Amazon Studios is putting out content and, you know, they're trying to get into the theatrical release area now. So it would not surprise me if this is a move as kind of a backdoor way of getting some of 
the productions they want to do into the movie theaters as opposed to just going directly on Amazon Prime Video. I mean, it's a good time to do it. This next sure. movie is Craig's last one, so yep. a new slate after yeah. this. Yep. That's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, anything moving forward would be, you know, theirs to play around with. Well, okay, so the picture that comes up when I do a Google... MGMIB, Stargate and Bond. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, those are also, those are the two. Is most... this is this Creed? Uh, what am I? What what what, what am? Probably is. Am I being horribly racist seeing a uh, a muscular black guy and just going to? I don't. I'm not. Oh, don't give me the. Fu- I, I'm not doing your slideshow. Just give me a fucking <laughs> list. <laughs> okay, James Bond, Handmaid's Tale. Fargo, Stargate, Rocky. Okay, so Creed. Yeah. All right, I wasn't racist. Oh, you know I feel what? better right. about myself. Handmaid's Tale has been uh, it's been an Amazon property anyway, right? Yeah, it's but it has. Or is that I've, Hulu? I've, uh, I believe it's Hulu, but I, I think I, it's it, Hulu. Yeah, it has been produced by MGM Studios. Okay. So Legally Blonde, Vikings. Yeah. All right, calm down, Todd. Don't get excited. <laughs> you, you saw my height of excitement right there. This is interesting. They say the Pink Panther, but their 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 image is the um, Steve Martin, Martin one. P- Pink Panther. They probably still own that IP because that was an MGM UA production. The 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 All old right. the Silence old of the version. Lambs, hmm. Clarice, RoboCop. That's right. I forgot MGM still owns RoboCop because MGM um, okay. bought. Robocop from was Orion, right? Sounds right. Oh, okay. So I, I, that's, they, that's they, right. And um, they did a horrible movie with it. A lot of the original Orion Pictures IP was split between a few studios, and I believe MGM picked up a lot of that because if I remember correctly, MGM owns um, uh, Weird Al's film. Um, UHF? UHF. Because of that Orion ah. IP sell-off. So, all right. Sorry, my brain is like, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out in my head and trying to remember all this stuff on the fly. But also, I don't think it's so much that what is Amazon going to do with this stuff moving forward? I think their big eye on is the fact that it bolsters their Amazon Prime library going forward without them having to do these. Absolutely. Will we have it for how long licensing deals before someone else grabs it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're probably right. That's well, probably their main goal in all of this. It's ridiculous the amount of when you go to Amazon Prime to watch something and how much of it is you got to rent. Yeah, it's like Jesus, guys. What happened? Remember, this used to be. I already paid you for this with the subscription. Well, I think their big sin is coupling the two together instead of having Amazon Prime as its own streaming channel and then maybe have a rent button that can go to all the other stuff instead of joining them all together in this mess that is their application. Right, right. Because it is a messy application. It doesn't matter what platform you're on. Yeah, I'm on the 360, so you want to talk messy application. And it's really funny because I go to my Prime uh, app on my phone to buy it, and then I go back to my 360 app to watch it. Mm. I make sure to count 60 seconds to make sure you know the internet has talked to itself, 
And then boom, you know, I can watch Midway or Earthquake or, you know, whatever. Sure, I'm watching. right. Uh, David Carradine with a sword. <laughs> you know, one of those movies. Actually, actually, that was one of the few free ones. So there you go. Like Future Force, stay away from Future Force. Oh, but trust but, me, do not watch Future Force. But Earth Defense Force Five. I'd watch play, that movie. Play the fuck out of that. News you don't give a shit about. Dwayne Johnson has been cast in the role of Superman's dog Crypto in an animated League of Super Pets feature. The previously announced project, which is being co-directed by Jared Stern, that's a writer on the Lego Batman movie, and Sam Levine, a director on Nickelodeon's Robot and Monster series, is scheduled to open next year on May 20th, 2022. Johnson has agreed to produce Super Pets under his Seven Bucks company. Uh, Black Adam, which is also executive produced by Johnson, will arrive in theaters on July 29th of that same year. Uh, Black Adam will, of course, introduce the Justice Society of America to the film, uh, a team that includes iconic heroes such as Hawkman, Adam Smasher, Cyclone, and Dr. Fate. So, who's, who's ready for uh, League of Super Pets? Well, I um, just don't know what to think about that one. If, 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 uh, if Dwayne is, uh, you know, look, giving it the, the, the rock eye, then, you know, you know, there must be something there because he, the people's eyebrow. Yeah. He doesn't, uh, you know, I, I mean, all right, well, let's, let's back up. All right. What are, what are massive Dwayne, the rock Johnson failures? What has he done that you were like? Good point. Even even the movies, I'm like, I don't want to see that. That doesn't interest me. If he's in it, it just seems to do well. Well, yeah. didn't he do the uh, Journey of the Center of the Earth remake, wasn't he? Yes, that? that was the sequel. Yep. The sequel. Oh, it was the sequel to the Brendan Fazier yeah. remake of Journey to the All Center right. of the Well, Earth. you know, that's his own fall for you know trying to follow in the footsteps of Brendan Fraser. Yeah, don't do that. You know, Dwayne, what the fuck, man? Yeah. But uh, what what next? Mummy right. Mummy Five, right? Exactly. Well, Tom Cruise learned not to do that. Right? There you go. Right. You don't follow <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Yeah, don't don't George of the Jungle. You just leave that shit oh, alone, man. Not George of the Jungle. Encino Ouch. Man. Don't <laughs> don't. You know. So, but generally, I mean, you know, he uh, he. I I think there are a whole herd of cats outside because Kit. Is positively fucking twitchy. He's yeah, he's going nuts. He's Jonesing. I mean, since the sun went down, we can't see, but there were yeah. ones crawling on the uh, the wall a moment yeah. ago. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and League of Super Pets, Crypto, Crypto's a classic. What other Super Pets are there? I only know Streaky, Crypto, the Super Cat, of Super Girls. Okay. Um, see, I don't know that one was at his, all. What was his name? There's the Super Horse. I forgot his name. Comet. Are you serious? No, There's a super Cupid. horse? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these were super girls. Pets. I must have blocked all this out from memory because well, I remember crypto, but I don't remember dude, any it, of the it, others. It's not a shockingly dynamic period <laughs> it's in, that in era, DC yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, comics history. Yeah, so. it's in that era of 60s yeah. DC comics. Just <laughs> throw it against the wall, see what sticks. There you where, go. Where, where Superman was, oh, oh, oh no, protect his son from the super candy store it's, yeah it's, it was yeah. dumb stuff so so yeah there was a uh, um and uh, then of course there are other there are animal related like detective chimp oh, okay uh jesus so you know there's some there are some super pets yeah 
I, it's really funny they've done more of a Marvel one because Marvel's got Super Pets sure. things as well. Lockjaw. Lockjaw probably being the most famous. See, I didn't know Marvel had that too. Yeah. Well, Marvel, you know, approached it from another direction. So it, it's really funny. One of the most... Uh, one of the most dumbest, weirdest, conceptually sounding was when uh, Thor got turned into a frog. Oh, yes. The frog uh, god of oh, thunder. No. Yeah, I remember and, that. But dude, no, uh, Jeff, it actually, uh, it was Walt Simonson, and it was actually a pretty damn good story. Okay. Um, it, it So... You know, that's that, a hero click I would like. There you go. That's Marvel's. <laughs> you know, when Marvel does it, that's that's generally where you go. So I don't know. I don't know. Right. But, you know, you you got something going there, and and yeah, yeah, Dwayne. You know, that's uh, Ashton put money into Bitcoin, and Dwayne's <laughs> putting it into League of Pets. So there you go. All right, whatever makes you the cheddar. Yeah. News <laughs> <laughs> you don't give a shit about. Warner Brothers is remaking the 1983 cult horror film The Hunger. Angela Robinson, a former writer and executive producer on HBO's True Blood, is in final talks to direct the modern retelling from a screenplay by Jessica, Jessica Scharzer. Uh, she was a writer for Nerve and American Horror Story. Making the directorial debut of the late Tony Scott, that's the guy who directed Top Gun, the original The Hunger starred Catherine Devenu as Miriam Blaylock. Deneuve. That's what I said. A vampire attempting to provide her lover, John Mayblock, played by David Bowie, with eternal life. To unlock the secret to immortality, Miriam seduces uh, gerontologist Sarah Roberts, played by Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Based on the 1981 novel of the same name by Whitley, Stre- Whitley Strieber, that's the guy who wrote Communion, Whitley Strieber, the Hunger was not a box office success, only managing about $6 million worldwide. Uh, the Hunger has found a sizable cult following, though, particularly within the goth subculture over the last 38 years. Uh, the Hunger, uh, Tony Scott has probably most artsy-fartsy. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen The Hunger, so I'm trying to remember everything. But... Uh, it's yeah, it's it's definitely I don't know want to call it avant garde, but it's definitely it's closer uh, to that. Yeah, it's definitely um, the most avant garde thing he ever did. Exactly, because it's not an easy to follow film the first time you watch it. So yeah, it's a I think artsy fartsy is is a right term for it. Now that you say it, we we talk about how if you're going to remake something remake something that wasn't successful the first time yeah. or they didn't get right or just wasn't quite there that's what you want to remake um i'm not sure if the hunger is that though uh, yeah and if you're and if the reason that people go to the hunger they don't go for the story it's kind of a generic vampire story right they they go there because of its artistic choices. You you got Catherine Denevu. That's what I said. Denevu and uh, and uh, Susan Sarandon. Yes. getting funky. Yes, yes. I think it's a, I, think it's I a remember sec- a nipple bite. It's a sexy little film. Yeah, in yeah. that regard. And you know, Avant, it, it's going to be weird because Bowie's in it. Right. Good point. Right. You know. I mean, I, I, uh, I, what I, Labyrinth is probably the most. 
like mainstream movie the man ever made, True. right? Right. You know, so. And if if I could equate it in a uh, a tone, uh, that remake of the Cat People that they did in the eighties. Oh, oh God, yeah, <laughs> That's Nastasia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, God. So oh, yeah. now you have this writer from American Horror Story, and American Horror Story has uh, whatever season you're on has that kind of psychosexuality about it. Uh, some seasons more than others, but that's sure. always present. So if someone is going to tackle this movie, make it the uh, modern Emmanuel of vampires. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's who I'd want to write it. But, okay. But again, are you remaking this movie? Are you going to be aping that style? Are you going for that weird avant-garde thing in if or so, are you going to make a coherent are, story? Yeah, that, or are you going to just make a, a sexy, run-of-the-mill vampire movie? Right. Maybe it's just because it's it's a movie that's far enough removed from the public eye True. that doing a remake is not going to be readily apparent to a lot of the people that would go see it. Isn't that odd? Point. Isn't that odd? It's like a Hollywood thing. They love they love grabbing grabbing established IP, whatever media they may grab it from, and it's sort of like uh, grab something that not many people know about. I mean, Hollywood. but it's an established IP. Yeah, but not many people know about. Yeah, but it's an established right. IP. Why it's not like- just make a new sexy <laughs> vampire movie? Right, that doesn't make any sense. That and, won't sell. And Hollywood's <laughs> been doing that since its inception. Yes, I mean, shoot, yeah. it, it, just even the first forty years of the cinema, they were remaking. Well, it's always funny. Same thing when you you like you. Oh, oh, Ben Hur. Oh, there was a silent. Yep. I didn't know there was a silent of Ben Hur. Yep. Yes, it's based on the book by blah blah blah. Oh. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, based on the book by blah, blah, blah. It, you know, they took a lot of fucking books back in the day and adapted them. You know, Frankenstein, et cetera, also. But it's just like Hollywood just loves adapting. You know, they love grabbing that established IP. And, you know, some of it makes sense because it is, there's a ton of money involved. Sure. I can see the allure of it. But in something like The Hunger, once again, it's an established IP. Yeah, right. but... Who, who knows about it? But it, but it is established for being artsy and weird. Right. And it's and something even, people can talk about. And I won't even say it's got a cult following because... No, it's got a cult following. It does, but it's a very small cult following oh, yeah. compared to a lot of quote-unquote cult films. Sure. So, I don't know. I mean, it's possible it could work. The people that are working on it seem to be the ones that would know what to do with that. I'm just curious to know what the final product right. is going to be like. Right. Because if you're going to do The Hunger and not keep the artsy-fartsiness about it, why remake The Hunger? Make make yeah. sexy vampire movie. But if you're going to keep the avant-garde, are you going to chase away the modern <laughs> movie watcher? It's And and make a small movie. And ma- yeah. It's... Woo. It, I'm curious what's going to happen. I mean, who's the equivalent of Bowie? 
Who are you going to grab? Lady Gaga? In today's day and age? Uh, you she know, was already in American Horror Story. That's yeah. actually not a, that's not a bad casting choice, but, Kay. But, uh, so are we gender flipping everything? And so then it's it's two dudes and it's Lady not, Gaga? And <laughs> it's not unprecedented. You know? I mean, in, in I like the modern idea. cinema. Um, I, I like that idea, the gender swap on that. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we're reimagining the conversation leading up to the purchase of this IP right <laughs> Maybe now. Maybe so. Could be. You know, I don't know. But I, th- I think that if you took the hunger, flipped a gender so it is more homoerotic, I think you actually have something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, in a, the modern cinema. A, three tri- a three-way triangle, all women. <laughs> oh, yeah, but they're all vampires. All right, let me write you a check. <laughs> Vivid already made that move. <laughs> Kirsten was like, green light. Yeah, green light, baby. And finally, news you don't give a shit about. Yeah, it's still going. The, the, the one I've been avoiding, I had this story last week and I intentionally didn't put it on here because I'm like, I don't want to talk about this this week. I want to talk about it next week where I've had a chance to even process what I'm talking about. Oh. I had to go online and learn a whole bunch of things to be able to talk somewhat about this story. And and I'm not happy about it. Mm. We already knew that Rick and Morty's Dan Harmon is creating an animated comedy series at Fox that focuses on ancient Greek mythology. Right. We reported on this like a a month and a half ago. The show now has a name. It's called Crapopolis. Fox Entertainment announced the name during a presentation and shared an additional piece of news about the series. Crapopolis will also sell a bunch of show-related stuff on the blockchain. According to an announcement, Fox-owned Bento Box Entertainment is not only producing the show, but will also curate and sell a variety of goods, including NFTs of gifts and character background art, as well as virtual tokens that give purchasers access to different social experiences. Right? Unpack that goddamn sentence. NFTs are already, I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. Right, I mean, right, several right. shows have talked about it. You know, it's right. non-fungible it's like token. token. Right. Yes. And, and I'm about to break that down oh, okay. a little okay, bit. For, I'll go get a soda. Because I know that last sentence, uh, uh, people's head filled with static at the end of that. Because mine did. Because didn't John Oliver do a bit on NFTs on last week tonight? Did he? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, So if you're wondering what the heck an NFT is or the blockchain, okay, in very simple terms, uh, an NFT or non-fungible token, as we said, is a unique digital asset that can be pretty much anything, like a a, a GIF, a digital magic, the gathering, playing card, and uh, digital fine art. People buy NFTs with cryptocurrency, and the blockchain is basically a ledger that tracks who owns what? Ugh. <laughs> Many artists and creators are viewing NFTs as a new way to get money for their art, and I get it. Hollywood Now Hollywood is dipping in, into the market. Uh, Kevin Smith is selling his next movie as an NFT, for example. And the uh, Crapopolis storefront is Fox Entertainment's first foray into the space. Uh, Crapopolis is also Fox Entertainment's first fully owned and financed scripted series after the company formed in 2019 following 21st Century Fox's acquisition by Disney. According to an earlier statement by the company, 
The show is said to focus on a flawed family of humans, gods, and monsters that tries to run one of the world's first cities without killing each other. And it's expected to premiere sometime in 2022. Uh, yeah, I, I went on a full deep dive on what NFT is and blockchain, and now I know more about cryptocurrency than I ever wanted to know. And, and then that's the, that's the issue when it comes down to it, uh, is that this stuff has to be purchased with cryptocurrency. Yeah. That there's no, there's no other way. It's not like you can go to PayPal and buy it. Right. You, you have to do cryptocurrency, uh, whether it's Ethercoin or ooh, there's so many of them. Um, but. The thing with cryptocurrency is that it's not run by a single entity. It's run by a network of computers that are basically linked throughout the world over the Internet. Right. Right. And that's what keeps it so that nobody owns it. And and that's what makes it such this energy sink that we've been talking about with it is that the whole idea, if you are running a... Bitcoin farm, as it's called. All that is, is a whole bunch of computers, usually in a server room, uh, which are always on, waiting for somebody to buy something with cryptocurrency to basically ledge it in this and what's called the blockchain it was just a ledger of who bought what where it's a it's a record of a transaction that's all blockchain is a record of a transaction and that is all housed within all these computers that are constantly on and running and then if your computer is selected randomly that it's attached to this huge set of farms out there, then you are given a small amount of money as a thank you for allowing your computer to be the ledger for this, figuring this out. And then that gets copied over and then sent across everything and just, it keeps running. And that's why it's such an energy sink because all these people have all these computers on running at full blast, just waiting for somebody to buy something with cryptocurrency so that maybe one of their computers might get picked and to get a little fraction of some money for doing so yep. that's what makes it expensive and that too and i say expensive i'm talking environmentally and that's why watching like fox get into this is just like what the fuck are you doing and the thing with nfts that just boggles me is it's like you're not actually buying the thing that you're buying the token for you're basically buying exclusive access to that thing right but the person that created it still basically owns it and is allowing you access to it whenever you want yes until they decide to take it offline or do whatever you so know it's like it's not like? even like a permanent thing that you own it's, you know, it, it is so bizarre the whole nft thing you know what that sounds like what you just described Jeff. it sounds like you know those buy gold receipts yeah <laughs> right mm-hmm. you, you don't actually you don't actually have any gold in your home you just that's i mean that's kind of what that that almost yeah. sounds like yeah. it, I don't it's know. <laughs> frankly people from everything that i looked at it's the new beanie babies Right. Yeah. That, that's that's all it is. People are buying digital art, and don't get me wrong. I want people who create art on the internet to be able to sell it, and this is a way that they can put their name on it and sell it digitally to other people, so that other people have actual ownership of it. That actually happens. That's what that whole blockchain ledger is all about. It records that that it, this was sold from artist to purchaser, and that 
is an official stamp in the blockchain. That's what the NFT is, an official stamp yep. of that person's ownership of that digital art. Great. But it's so Wild West still yep. that not only does it cost so much in electricity to keep this whole thing running, people are taking art they don't own, claiming to own it, selling it on these digital art things without the person who made the art even knowing it's being sold. Yeah. So people are creating digital art putting it on whatever site that they're doing it or on, on Instagram, on Twitter or wherever they want to put it out there to sell it either as a physical art form later on or whatever that reason being. But people are taking that art, picking it up, throwing it in these auction houses, digital auction houses and selling it. And, and there's no way because there's no central thing policing this. It's all this open court through these, these server farms that there's nothing really there to stop it right now because no one's paying attention. And if something goes wrong, let's say you buy it and then all of a sudden there's an electrical glitch somewhere because bug and all of a sudden you don't have it or you were charged extra or you were, uh, you never got the money for the thing you sold. Who do you complain to? Yeah, I exactly. don't know, <clears throat> Was that uh, in a somewhat related story very tangentially like on a atomic scale the bitcoin guy who lost his password remember oh, that story that, yeah that was on the news he's got like a couple a months ago quarter of a billion in bitcoin that he can't access because he forgot his password yeah he has an uh, basically he has an offline bitcoin wallet that is yeah, it's like worth like a half a billion dollars. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and But he can't remember his password. And he's been and, trying to yeah. and last I heard there there was no way. Yeah, you, you can't you can't crack it to make the password known. Right. And there's no <laughs> way to quote unquote recover your password because it's inherently designed to be that secure that Right way nobody can just say you know try to answer a few questions and get your bitcoin sure. password yeah so it, well it's and, funny and because he didn't write it down anywhere yeah or well he said he tried like five of his most common used passwords and none of them worked so it's like well, he has no he, idea did the 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 last thing i read and this was like a couple months ago he was down to like two or three attempts yeah, before he's forever locked out or some bullshit Something like, like that. that. I, 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 I rem oh, and it's so funny because it's like, where do you go? You've yep. like you just said, Todd. You've got nowhere to go. I don't. Yeah, he said and, something like he's come. He's come to terms with the fact that he'll probably never be able to recover this thing yeah. that is worth all of this. You know, well, at the current exchange rate at that time was was worth a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, that he'll never be able to do anything with. Right, it's it's a useless paperweight at that point. His yeah. little offline Bitcoin wallet. And yeah. it, it's also so wild west that if you're an artist looking to, hey, maybe I want to get in on this and sell some of my art, you still have to make it discoverable the way you have been. Twitter. Instagram, because yep. there's no way that if you just like throw it on the auction site, it'll even be seen or found because what, who's buying this art, rich people who are then by turning around and selling their NFT ledger that they own it to another rich person. And that's basically who's buying these things. 
just like the real art world. Right. It, it really is because the only people that are really selling well on this are people like Beeple, people that are really well known in the digital art world. Yep. So it's digital not digital art world. Yeah, it's not it's not an easy nut to crack just like regular art. So it's that's it makes me once again just say who the fuck is this for? And and what does Crapopolis think that they're going to sell to I guess wealthy people who want to buy a digital gift yeah. so they can claim it's theirs, even though copies of it can be made by anyone who sees it. It's it a, makes no sense. It's a fad for people with more money and more time than they know what to do with that don't care if it doesn't turn out to be anything tangible or real in the real world. It's just, it's it's a it's a it's a flight of fancy. They're like, oh, this is popular right now. I have all the disposable income to use on it, and if I lose it, no big deal. Yeah, it's literally a game Maybe. for the for the very wealthy. I guess so. And I or or it, the people that have just enough money to get into it, not knowing exactly what it is and exactly what the pros and cons are, and will most likely lose everything. And I don't think the, the NFTs, the whole idea of it, is a bad idea. I like the idea that. As far as if you have something that you have made digitally, you can sell the rights to it or, or as a, a art piece to somebody else. And that there is something to track that, yes, this is a piece who owns it digitally and who sold it. That's a great idea. But having it done through this whole blockchain Bitcoin thing is uh, is not a good idea. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm all for the digital thumbprint. Damn. Damn. Weekend Geek! Woohoo! Damn, that was a. Some news you don't give a shit about! Torgo's mind blowers. Yeah, really. <laughs> His mind was blown. Oh. I watched so many videos of things well, I don't comprehend. Mean, you've just. You've improved my understanding of that immeasurably just with what you did, because <laughs> I. I I wasn't getting much of it. I was just beginning to under because my oversimplification of blockchain was simply that it's it's almost like torrents. It's it's just using computers all over the fucking place as as its own type of server. It's sort of it's a digital accounting book that is hard to change, and when you do change something in it, it's easy to detect. Yeah. It's, and then, but, but I don't know, man. But, but it doesn't exist on a server. It exists on all the servers. Yeah, well, yep. we'll just give the, the um, uh, what the hell is that, that, that group in uh, Russia, the hackers, uh, <laughs> oh, Jeff. Yeah. The, 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 the fancy bear? No, 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 no. This is, this is the government agency that, that oh. like, launches the cyber attacks against us, INS or Internet something, research something or other. Um, but, um, you know, eventually they'll get in there and they'll figure a way to fuck with things. It'll be, you know, I mean, something like that, you don't pull off the fool it, right? You don't, you don't get in there and create the undetectable change. And what you do is you render everything, you make everything look like it's been fucked with. Right. Or you, you make something that will fuck with everything and, 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 and create a, a catastrophe fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> Bruce Tim is returning to Batman. 
Really? HBO Max and Cartoon Network announced that they have placed a straight-to-series order for a brand-new animated show entitled Batman Caped Crusader. In addition to Tim, who is famous for co-creating Batman the Animated Series, the project has also the backing of J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves. The Hmm. press release promises that Caped Crusader will tap into, quote, state-of-the-art animation techniques and technologies to once again reinvent Batman and his iconic rogues gallery with sophisticated storytelling, nuanced characters, and intense action sequences, all set in a visually striking world, unquote. Now, Reeves is the director and co-writer of the next year's The Batman, which currently has a live-action Gotham PD spinoff in the works at HBO Max. So you Bruce Tim fans, you Batman animated series fans, here you go. Have another shot in the arm. Yeah, interesting. And you said it's a Max exclusive, right? HBO Max exclusive? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's well, HBO sort of. Max and Cartoon Network announced okay. it, so it's possible it might be on be Network as well. Uh, but you can bet it'll be on Max. Well, I mean, uh. yeah, Warner Media owns both, so it would yeah. make sense that But yeah, cool. I'm, you know, I'm all for it. I, uh, surprise to everyone, I have not seen Batman the Animated Series. I have seen Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And because everyone said how amazing it was. And I saw it and I was like, yeah, that was all right. Um, I, I don't know why. I've just never been compelled to. I think at the time, I just, it was a time in the 90s where I was in college and I discovered anime, as Jeff reminded me. And then, then there was a difference between cartoons for adults and cartoons for kids. And I always saw Batman the Animated Series as cartoons for kids. It skirted the line between them. And that's why I think you have a lot of people that are now adults obsessed with it. Because people in our age that when it came out, some people discovered it and then go, okay, this is not just a kid's version of Batman. There's more... Right adult themes there's some more mature content without being overtly graphic in one way or another you know either violence wise sexually etc but the stories were very well thought out they were very compelling for a you know when you start taking out the commercials a 22 minute show that appeared in the kids animation block on you know, television. So, but yeah, the stories always to me felt like they were just, they were right on that edge of being too mature for children and skewed more for adults. And then also kind of leaning back into, okay, how do we attract kids to want to watch this? And then once we've got them hooked, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah, I, I always viewed it uh, essentially as they they were at least at least Paul Dini and Bruce Tim at all were making a an animated series for adults. Yeah, but they they threaded it, you know, just carefully enough to make it children palatable, children yes. watchable, so that so that they could essentially get it done. Cause right, who the hell's gonna? Is who the hell is going to do animated you know, something just for adults back then? So if I might equate it to something like uh, late series Clone Wars. Like Clone Wars sure. started for kids. Right. Uh, but as it went on, it was telling more morally complex stories. Yeah. yeah. 
and and they're, that, that could get away instead of still be kid friendly. Yeah, and dude, it, it very it's very well written series. It's very well done stuff. Yeah, you know we're talking an Emmy award winning series. So All yeah. right. Maybe maybe I'll polish it off my HBO Max and watch some Batman animated series for once. There you, there go. you go. I got to finish Clone Wars first. Oh jeez. I'm on season five. I'm doing good. Wow. Yeah. I'm getting there. My gosh. I haven't even started Episode it. 600 might be Torgo finished something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the long-planned Batgirl film set to follow Barbara Gordon's crime-fighting footsteps has found a new directing duo three years after Joss Whedon walked away from the project. Uh, Adil El Arby and Bilal Fala, the same directing pair behind Bad Boys for Life, as well as the upcoming Ms. Marvel series at Disney+, Plus, have signed on to helm the new Batgirl movie. Uh, the Moroccan-born duo is widely credited for helping to revive the Bad Boys film franchise. Uh, Whedon stepped away from writing and directing duties, confessing that he couldn't crack the code on creating a fresh Batgirl story. Uh, created as a female TV counterpart for Batman, Batgirl was introduced to comic book fans in 1967 in her issue th 359 of Detective Comics. The print debut paved the way for her appearance later that year on TV, where she was played by the late Yvonne Craig in the series' season opening episode. More recently, Batgirl was played by Alicia Silverstone in 1997's Batman and Robin, and Rosario Dawson also voiced the Lego version of Batgirl for 2017's The Lego Batman Movie. Right. Cruella co-producer Kristen Burr is producing the new Batgirl movie, which The Hollywood Reporter reports is now destined for a direct debut at HBO Max. All right. <coughs> hmm. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cinematic Batgirl just... Doesn't have a solid track record. Yeah, you know, Yvonne Craig was was her own phenomenon, and true, she, that was very cool. I didn't know. I never knew that uh, she actually was a martial artist. Oh. she actually studied martial arts, but the apparently television uh, execs did not want a woman uh, getting like martial artsy or uh -huh. physical fighty. So yeah. all of her stuff was very dance movie. Yeah, they don't want to get it. Faster pussycat kill kill. Yeah, really, you know? Because didn't she have a ballet background as well, yes, which is what and, played up and, her fighting and, style? And her yeah. fighting style was very dance-oriented. Yes. But I found out that she uh, she actually had some martial arts, as well as like Burt Ward, which I right. actually had not uh, I had not heard about either. <laughs> so, but... Um, and weren't they considering a spinoff Batgirl series at one point uh, from the, the 66 Batman? At one point. But boy, when it when it fell, it fell hard. Yeah, it, it really did. It, it was like a three season. Yeah, and then a, then a complete flame out. Yeah, and and they were they were sixty six was doing it was getting nominated for Emmys. People didn't realize yeah. that it was really it it really become a phenomenon, and it just came and went like pow. Yeah. Um. The Joss Whedon thing is well. It's the Joss Whedon. Thing. Late, lately, that's that's just that's just become amusing. I mean, you want to talk about how the mighty have fallen, sure, and and especially the context, right? Uh, but in this case, it's not that he jumped away from the project because of the personal right things that were happening in his life 
and the yeah he, accusations. he did that before everything came yeah. crashing down he left because he couldn't figure out bad girl how to how to make right. a movie out of it right so just but, kind of which, which i always find interesting because there were some really good comic runs of the character that delved deeply into her motivations for becoming Batgirl, sure. and not just because she, you know, idolized Batman or anything like that. You know, very personal reasons for her becoming a, you know, a crime fighter herself, and you know, taking on the mantle because it was somewhat recognized, but also trying to make the, you know, the the persona her own, etc. And then, you know, obviously the later on with her becoming, you know, Oracle and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand when people make a statement like they don't know what to do with the character when there's a large volume of comic book storytelling that is, that ranges from the very simple to the very mature that can be mined for ideas and why Whedon would not be able to do that, I just, I, I find that bizarre. Sure. It's, it's, Given his track record. Yeah. I would, it's funny because as you're speaking, Jeff, I would almost, well, that's kind of hard for Batman because I would almost go, I would almost do period piece because I would draw a lot from the TV show in terms of she's the daughter of the commissioner and... And I would almost put it on like she wants to participate in crime fighting and stuff. But being in the 60s, sexism, how do you break out of that? And one of the things is, is, well, you like put on a costume and become a superhero because there there are no rules there. There's no there are no gatekeepers to say, oh, women can't do this. Yeah. You know, you just you just put on the costume and you go to work. Yeah. And, you know, that that could be that could have been an approach but of course that's that also then you have to put batman in the 60s and that probably broke his brain i <laughs> so. i almost wish biggs were here because he could verify if oh my, he's if my memory he's oh i'm screaming sure at his phone right now because i you know he'll he'll correct me i'm sure if my memory is is false on this but i i seem to remember one of the storylines being that you know, Barbara idolized her father and, you know, being that, you know, the good man that stands up for what's right, right. in a very corrupt police culture, if you will. Sure. But his refusal to let her enter law enforcement was a thing that drove her to develop the Batgirl persona. Sure. And there you... If I'm remembering it correctly. And, 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 and I'm sure Biggs will correct me if I'm way off base or, already... or 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 guide me into where I'm like cuz I'm trying to remember back comics sure. that I've read, you know, once, yeah. you know, decades ago now. So. But you're but you're also you're you're already hitting in some good points there, Jeff, right? Yeah. So it's like he's the good man in the corrupt organization. There may be things he can't do or he's stymied by and right. like he's not only not letting her into law enforcement he's not letting her help him so well what about if she becomes batgirl and helps him that way yeah and and you're already you're already entering the the one thing i could see is if you want to make a real feminist statement and you keep coming back to Commissioner Gordon, you might feel intimidated that you're you're not making sure. enough of a feminist statement. Which I, which I would say bollocks to because you give her the agency 
and the the power and energy to try to help. Yes. And you make that part of her story, inspired by Batman relating to her father. I mean, there are compelling stories to be told with that character. I think so. And I think it would just be a matter of finding the right voice, the right writer that can channel that character's voice, Mm -hmm. that character's motivations. And I almost think that finding a right woman writer is the best route to go. Well, that's probably your trick right there. Because there are a lot of men that can't write for women, but still do. They don't know how to write a character that is believable, especially to other women. And in this day and age, I think finding someone that is not only a comic fan, but is a fan of that character, has a good knowledge base of that character, and knows how to write for women would be the key to that being a, success, a successful film. Mm-hmm. That may be what hits on it. it you know, Josh uh, Whedon is not a is not a woman, so there is a there is yeah. a wall that he eventually will come up against in writing something like that. Well, and not to mention throughout the productions that he's worked on, he's had co-producers sure. and head right. writers and staff room writers that flesh out the ideas that he mm-hmm. presented and was able to write them in a way that audiences go, oh, this is how this character would naturally react in this situation, as opposed to this is how a particular man would think that a particular female character would right. behave in this situation. I wonder also if he was trying to look at Batgirl in a subversive way. Because you think about Buffy. Sure. Right? Buffy got subversive. It attacked a lot of tropes. Sure. Maybe that's his thing, is is attacking tropes and, and inverting cliches. And in looking at Batgirl, he was just at a loss to grab a hold of something that he felt he could... It could be subvert, or that, you know, that makes sense. To what's me. what's the through line in attacking whatever using Batgirl? Could very because well I mean, be. yeah, you know, I mean, Buffy, be it the movie or the TV show, you see right off what he's what he's poking fun at and what he's uh, going after, and you know, yeah, I agree with yep. that. <clears throat> That's my answer. <laughs> All right. We got time for one more. We'll do one more. One more. According to Deadline, Henry Cavill is in talks to star in the upcoming Highlander reboot from John Wick director Chaz Talaski. The original 1986 fantasy adventure film revolves around a man named Connor McCloud who discovers he is immortal. He is found by Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, a fellow immortal who takes him under his wing and explains that not only is he one in a... Not only is he one in a long line of people like them, but they are all destined to fight each other until only one remains, collecting each other's immortal power as they do so. This is why yet another immortal by the name of the Kurgan is hunting them both, leading to Connor battling him over the years, only to face him once again in the present day as Kurgan tries once more to kill him so he can be the last of their kind left standing. The popularity of the movie led to four sequels, None of them really good. And three TV shows, including an animated series, which I completely forgot about. Wow. Yeah, me too. Uh, The new film has been in development for several years. We've been 
talking, even bringing it up like every year, it feels like. Right. Uh, but now Neil H. Moritz and John da- uh, Josh Davis will produce the project. Uh, no release date has been announced, of course, uh, but if they're in talks with Henry Cavill, that means they're in the casting process. If, if he's throwing his weight behind it, that'll get it. That'll yeah. give it momentum, too. Yeah, I, I I watched it on the Hollywood Stock Exchange. All of a sudden, the Highlander stocks shot way up. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I really do not have a problem with them doing a remake of Highlander. No. I think... <laughs> it needs to be fixed. It's, I mean... Reboot it's, it and fix it. Yeah, it's it's a film that certainly has a place in my heart because of the time in which it was uh, yeah. made and so forth. They better made. they better bring Clancy Brown in for something. Yeah, the the elements of the story that are there, and then of course the Queen soundtrack <laughs> are all solid pieces. But some of the performances are not great. What Christopher is, Lambert in a movie that he's not acting well in? I can't imagine. It is. Certainly, there can be only one. <laughs> it is certainly a product of its time. It is a very 80s film, <laughs> which is what makes it difficult for some people to go back and watch because it's not a timeless film in that sense. It is very set in the 80s. Uh, even, even the flashback sequences have a very 80s flair to them, 80s movie-making flair. So I could easily see a more modern version of it, being able to take those story elements and being able to turn it into a very compelling version of the film, of the story, rather. But one problem is that Henry Cavill actually actually has a Scottish lineage. So he's not... He's not this French dude being cast as a Scotman <laughs> right. who gets mentored by a Scottish actor playing a Spanish dude who originally was Egyptian. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know how you're gonna cover that. Yeah, I mean, you know That was that always killed me about Connery's role in it. It's like you're Spanish you're peacock. Spanish, but you or were originally Egyptian, but you're a Scotsman in Scotland with a, a height with a sky. Okay. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> with I mean, this I'm, French guy who's playing the Scots men. I'm sure Connery couldn't. Just he was just like, well, it's a paycheck. Well, you know what he <laughs> says? He says, I don't understand these scripts, right? Like yeah, when right. he passed on, uh, he passed on Gandalf. Yeah, because he was like, I just I don't understand it. Then he got League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And he's like, well, I'm not fucking fucking up again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I won't pass on this one, but uh, yeah, you know, I think actually, like you said, I mean, it's it's a show about immortals, so it's going to be evergreen. I <laughs> and ironically, Connery's performance in that film actually is not it, terrible. It, it's funny. The character, the whole character backstory and exposition is ridiculous. Yes, but he. Owns it. He's he and Clancy Brown. Yes, make that movie. I mean, eighties. Yes, it's eighties all over the place. But if you have any any affection for the work of Connery or Clancy Brown or both, which you should, if you have good taste, you're you're gonna enjoy that movie. It's um, in the eighties. It's the right kind of weird yes. that it made it stay. Well, that's true because yeah. you think that's actually a very good statement because. His characters, th- th- that whole the whole casting thing, that's that's eighties to the core. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, um, 
Michael Rosenbaum has a podcast called Inside of You uh, that is both on almost every podcasting app that is available as well as on YouTube. He did an episode where he interviews Clancy Brown, and Clancy Brown talks about getting that role and his choices for the way that he did that character's um, portrayal on screen. Uh, kind of condensing down what he says in a very much more eloquent way than me. It's like he said, well, this is such a bizarre character. I'm going to play it as bizarre as I can because I'm a villain. I'm going up against, you know, a hero. I want to be remembered on the same plane as the hero of the story. So he just went for it. And uh, I think the results speak for itself because, I mean... <laughs> I feel like he's a much more compelling character than than you know. Well, and and great Duncan, or Connor McLeod. Great moments, you know. Just yeah. when, when he looks over at the old lady and he's like, "Mom," you know. <laughs> yeah. Iconic, positively, positively iconic. So yeah. Anyway, if you it, get a chance, it's about an hour and a half long podcast. Yeah. But I and I and if I remember the segment that he talks about. Uh, Highlander is only about a 10-minute segment Aww. of that. But um, it's worth checking out, if not just for that interview, but all of the other things that Clancy Brown has done that he talks about on this podcast. It's like Phantasm. It's a movie that shouldn't exist and does. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it is, it, it's, cr- its creator is all over it. The, the fact that it's scored by Queen makes it even weirder. But in a good way. Well, it was a it was an incredibly original idea when it was presented. Yes, isn't that what you want for Hollywood? Yes, right. You want original ideas that are compelling enough that it attracts people to it, even if some of the performance are very hammy. (laughs) And part of it is also the mystery that we're left with, and that's why the rest of the movies failed because it was an explanation of that mystery, and no no one wants that with with Highlander. No one wants that with Phantasm. Not to mention it's a series where the, the second installment of the sequels, or the, the first sequel, is essentially ignored to maintain the storyline <laughs> presented in the first and then the third and fourth sequel. Because, god damn, that was the dumbest thing ever. I remember seeing that in the theater going, what the fuck is this? Dude, even three. I saw three in the theater with Van Peebles stuck in a yeah. cave. Nah, well, he's an immortal stuck in a cave and went insane. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting premise. Is it, though? Poorly executed. <laughs> poorly executed. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, think about it. An immortal stuck in a cave for centuries. What is that going to do to that character's psyche? It's an interesting idea. I agree. Very poorly executed. <laughs> I, I agree it's an interesting idea, and it's a, but it's not interesting for a Highlander movie. True. I, I, it's not as interesting as being in a metal coffin dropped to the bottom of the ocean. I know a lot of Highlander fans are a big fan of the fourth one because it brings in the television series storyline. Duncan. Uh, yes, of Duncan McLeod. So you have Duncan and Connor in the same movie. The issue I had with it is I never became a big fan of the television series. I don't know. There's just something that just didn't draw me in. So... I always felt like I was lacking the other half of the story watching that fourth film. That makes sense. But a lot of people really, really liked it because for them, 
it was almost a um, a way of justifying the existence of the TV series because it's like now mm. we have a movie tying the two together, even though they tied a little bit of the backstory in like the first couple episodes yeah, the, the of the pi- TV yes, series. The pilot had, the pilot had um, Lambert in it. And I suppose... I don't. I, I can't verify this. I supposedly he was meant to make some other guest appearances. I don't know if he did or didn't. Couldn't tell you. So, but it, you, like you, it was a series that I saw. I was living in England at the time, yeah. and they released it on VHS. The, yep. the the first few episodes together as kind of a Highlander the TV show movie. Mm. Yep. And uh, I watched that, and I was like, "Well, that's not something I'm going to continue." Yeah. My mom was episode, into it. Yeah, I it, watched an episode here and there, and I was just like. It it kind of was very paranormal, yeah. uh, Romance, paranormal yeah. romance. Yeah, you're right. That was very that. That's that's a pretty good description. Yeah. Every time I'm watching it, there's a flashback to someone he loved. Like, ah, yes. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. Getting that '80s Beauty and the Beast vibes. There you go. The TV show. Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> What's your sexy 80s vibes? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, and probably not sounding this good, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Oh, I can't wait to hear Big's rant on the the Batgirl stuff. Because I'm sure sure if he doesn't agree with our ideas, he's got some ideas of his own. In fact, I can almost guarantee he does. Yeah, and he'll he'll well he'll cite three or four comic storylines that would be perfect. I, I can't totally wait to see all it. the corrections. It's like, it's like Jeff, A B C, Jeff C D E, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going off from the best of my memory as I have. It's it's that Bigs Facebook minute where yes. he he puts his two cents on the show, and they're always worthwhile two cents. Yes, in fact, I'd give him three cents. So. Two and a half. Okay. Uh, hey, Penny. I'd give him a nickel. <laughs> I don't know. That's more than I'm willing to spend. Well, if you blockchain it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want no record of this transaction. <laughs> ah!